Welcome to Political OD, New Year, um, hopefully one that will see us head back to a degree of uh, what we might describe as normal, whatever that is anymore. Uh, here with Owen to have a chat about some of the issues. I don't think we can uh, go on to anything else without uh, addressing the issue of Boris and uh, the situation we have in Whitehall, which seems to be somewhat uh, febrile at the moment, Owen. Yes. I mean, I suppose you could say from the point of view of uh, the party that Boris has admitted attending, albeit only for 25 minutes, and he thought it was a work to all this kind of uh, business. These, these things are, to my mind, relevant about what kind of uh, relevant to what kind of man he is, what uh, his, in his integrity is, is sort of attitude to dealing with things, but in themselves, they're not politically all that significant. They didn't affect people's lives all that directly. No, I, I, I must admit, I, I have a bit of sympathy with the number 10 environment. And, and, and that sympathy comes from uh, basically looking at a bunch of people who basically were unable to work from home in highly tense and very testing times. We've talked a lot about mental health capacity. I think if you are forced to travel and work from uh, in, in, in an office environment, you are mixing with people every day. I suspect there was a high degree of testing and, and, and a fair bit of uh, keeping your eye on, on what was going on. Um, that you know, a glass of wine with a few people at the end of the day that you were working with throughout the day anyway, that you'd seen throughout the day anyway. I don't, I don't know what it would have been like to be in that environment, but I just imagine that you had to have some form of contact because the stress would have simply put you off your head. I, I understand that and I take your point. What I would say is, I mean, the extraordinary thing about this was the res restrictions that were being imposed on I people yeah. everywhere. And with that in mind, the fact that this was the very seat of government, I suppose they should have been, you know, whiter than white, all, all that taken into account. And the second thing, you know, with Boris, we're, we're not just really talking about did he attend these things, did he know about them and everything else. It, it's more of an issue about integrity because he's been seen to be kind of evasive and to give answers that don't really make a great deal of sense. And I, from the perspective of Northern Ireland, I think that we've had a very kind of direct um experience of that sort of casual attitude to the truth that Boris has got. You know, we remember very clearly him standing up at the DUP conference and saying that there was no prime minister could ever accept a border in the Irish Sea and checks in the Irish Sea. We remember him at uh, speaking to the Northern Ireland Tories, you know, uh, quite a long time after that, after he'd struck the deal and assuring people that he was the prime minister of the United Kingdom and that no checks were going to take place because he wouldn't implement them. And we knew at the time that this wasn't the case, that the, the checks would be implemented and that happened. And, you know, uh, it does raise questions about his integrity and his character. I, I think there's no doubt that it well, does. I, I don't think, <clears throat> but I don't I, think I just, there's anything new on about his, no, his character no. or integrity. I think Boris is Boris at the end of the day. I mean, I think there, there, there's, there, there's not a great expectation of the guy in terms of, of um, well, 
okay, honestly, of, 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 of being uh, precise with the truth, shall we say. Um, so uh, uh, economical with the truth, I think, was a great phrase once upon a time. I don't know that that expectation was great. Um, and I'll say, I, I, I just said, uh, I agree they should have had a better mind to how it would look. But I suppose if you're in a cocoon, which they, they were at that time, and the world was outside, maybe that just set them I, it, it was it was wrong i suspect there there will be a fair bit of this outside the rules or certainly not in the spirit of the guideline but you know, one of the issues was this this one where he came out uh in may 2020 i think it was he had only just a month before come out of of intensive care mm. uh, if i remember rightly by june of that uh, year in 2020, people were asking the question whether he was up to the job, whether he was fit enough for the job. The suggestions he had long COVID and this kind of yeah, thing. yeah, because he was just not, uh, and there were things coming out of Downing Street about him not being on a par. So you know, was his judgment as fast as it could have been then? I I, I don't know, and uh, I think it, it, it's easy to speculate. It's easy to look with hindsight. I get a lot of people's emotion. I think it's a kickback from. Uh, and, and I've read a couple of good articles which are saying, you know, this is the madness that we went through. And yeah. really, did we have to go through that madness? Of course, here, you know, one of the things that I've noticed this past week are a number of parties here in Northern Ireland demanding uh, the resignation of Mr. Uh, Johnson uh, as prime minister. I think it's just empty words. I mean, the, the people who are demanding Boris Johnson's resignation will, after May, be quite happy to demand that unionists share power with people who have been equally lacking integrity. Um, and they themselves will be more than willing to sit down at the executive table with people who have willingly and deliberately and without apology, um, uh, basically uh, broken uh, rules and guidelines that they set in place. Uh, and that's another reason why I've slight a slight sympathy with Boris. You know, there the, the were difficult decisions throughout this. I know it was um, on Downing Street. It'd be interesting to know what happened in Storm. Well, we know what happened because people. we know that there were trips down to Dublin by party leaders um, breaking the guidelines. There were... Steel cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I... Th- I, well, I well, there's a... It's, it's a useful point you're making because there's almost... In Northern Ireland and, and elsewhere, actually, it's because there's a culture of calling for people's resignations and it's quite a, a cheap tactic that's used with kind of alarming frequency. I mean, it, whenever there's any kind of issue with your political opponent, uh, you tend to, to call for the resignation. So when there is actually a situation that does call for it and it is more serious, you know, where do you go from there? It's, it's yeah. difficult to, to tell when something is meant sincerely and when it's you know just another another press release throwing around the resignation word well and we saw that in 2017 where you know there was a demand for for arlene foster to resign of course uh, you know was was perhaps the public inquiry didn't exactly how, how would you put it? it it wasn't exactly comfortable reading but at the same time it it, it didn't exactly say that this was a resignation matter in terms of of the first minister so um, I, I think you know, you've got these things whereby, as you say, it's a rhetorical flair for many politicians to demand resignations of other politicians, um, but uh, it really doesn't 
often relate to any facts and it avoids actually many times dealing with the issues at hand. Yeah, I agree. It's the fallout of COVID, isn't it, that we're dealing with now? It's the, it's the benefits of hindsight and we're looking back at that period. Uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd rather forget about that period altogether and get, 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 get everything back up and running. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that is, yes, that's where the anger is coming from. It's people transferring their anger from the fact that, you know, you subjected us to this, you knocked yeah. us down, you were careless about our mental health and our professions and all of the other things that were affected. You took those decisions. Um, and that's where the, and, and that's why the anger is being directed at Boris and number 10 yeah. and the civil service and whatever else. It's not directly because you know we, we feel that it's an outrageous thing to go into your garden and, and and sip a glass of warm chardonnay out of a plastic cup yeah and i think that's why i don't think we'll ever see a lockdown again people will simply not tolerate a lockdown ever again uh, 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 with all this because i think those consequences are now known uh, and it will be a, a very different managerial system uh, one of the things here, I think we've seen that you know the introduction of these passports completely pointless in 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 Northern Ireland, uh, and it's quite clear that the early vaccinations, the two vaccinations, were were very little uh, protection in terms of of Omicron. I just didn't go anywhere uh, over the Christmas period anyway, and I had no intention of going into crowds or anything else. I don't think I was alone. I think just people stayed away from those areas because the risk of the virus was enough for people simply to say. I'm not going out. Uh, I mean, the, the passports became an irrelevancy because people took their own decisions. And I think that was also true, by the way, even you know, if we go back to the start in March 2020, people had already started to work from home. Uh, true also last December, it was quite clear that the, the numbers were, had already started to slide down by the time the restrictions came in because people had already taken their own decisions about going out, meeting people, engaging with others uh, that decision had been taken government or not and that's got to be the way forward if we're going to have sort of you know other pandemics in the future or flare-ups of different kind of variants of covid or, or whatever else it's got to be up to people to um take responsibility for their own decisions and if they feel unhappy with going out and and living their lives in in public then you know don't. take a few to don't you know, it's got to be voluntary rather than compulsory. Exactly. Work from home is now, people now accept it's perfectly doable in many situations, not all, but many mm. situations. So I think it's uh, it's going forward. The issue around Boris and all the rest does seem to have taken attention away from, from bigger issues. I mean, we've got energy issues. Uh, and of course, you can't talk about that without talking about Russia and the supply of Nord Stream 2 uh, and also what's happening in, in Ukraine. We've got uh, we've got China, which is becoming an increasingly, I think, increasingly aggressive and overly confident uh, political force uh, around uh, around the world. Cer- certainly uh, wanting to insert itself. And we've seen uh, its activity now uh, in terms of this latest uh, issue around Westminster of, of money being channeled to uh, political parties, all political parties, it would seem, uh, one way or another. I just want to point out to those big international issues, really to bring us back to the protocol and and the appointment now, of course, of Liz Truss, uh, since we last spoke into the role of chief negotiator around the Northern Ireland Protocol from her seat as foreign secretary. 
and that's about what what does that mean for the protocol? Um, I think if you put it in the FCO, it becomes one of the other issues in terms of international relations. Although Trust has said she's largely taking the same approach as Frost, that's all the all the noises, and indeed one or two of her statements seem to suggest she might even be more hardline. There are two things now uh, that are going to pressure. One, uh, if Boris is looking a bit shaky, she'll want to be seen to be the darling of the party. And I think that needs to be uh, perhaps uh, finishing Brexit and finishing the protocol. So that's, that, that's one pressure on that side. But on the other side, as Foreign Secretary, she may have a lot of pressures and this can go one of two ways. She may be under pressure to get the protocol dealt with quickly so that she can deal on an international level with allies and other organizations on those big issues. Or given that the protocol is currently in a betwixt and between stage where there's a lot of inconvenience, but with the grace periods and with medicines sort of sorted, then uh, it, it can sort of rumble along for a long period of time. Does that then become part of the uh, of an international playbook where it's all about the, the machinations of international relations. I think it can go any number of ways at the moment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Either you sort of you take the view that it needs to be sorted so then we can move on with um, sort of addressing the other issues or, or else it gets pushed into the background because there's other things going on. I mean, you, you focused on Liz Truss and, and rightly so, but I mean, this works both ways because, you know, the, the European Union as well only has a certain amount of bad bandwidth for foreign policy. And we, we've had negotiations going on with NATO and Russia recently about the situation in, in Ukraine that really largely has taken place with, the US and Russia in the forefront and the EU has been kind of pushed to the side. So as the EU struggles for relevance in the world as well, it needs to have a constructive relationship with the United Kingdom and with other um, powers and to be putting that at the, the top of its agenda and it will struggle to do that while the protocol is sort of rumbling on and while there's this negotiation in the background. So there's an incentive for all sides to get this sorted and to you know, put their relationships on a firmer footing so that they can switch their focus, switch their attention to international matters, which are going to, in the longer term, have a much more profound impact on, on how we live our lives and, and, and how the kind of international scene settles down. And, and saying that it's going to be resolved, I think we have to add either way, in that it's something they want to get off the table, but we don't know exactly what the, the landing zone of that is, uh, because they seem as far apart as ever uh, in terms of where they're standing, in terms of their public positions. And, and we should come back to the fact that, you know, we're, we're talking about a tiny volume of trade that's moving between Great Britain and Northern Ireland and staying in Northern Ireland. And there's absolutely no reason. It's completely reasonable to expect that trade to move within the United Kingdom without any barriers or checks or inconveniences. And the fact that that hasn't been conceded is the extraordinary thing about this. It's not that you know we're in the middle of some intractable, naughty situation where there isn't a way out. It's very, very simple. Just don't do it. Don't require 
the United Kingdom to put barriers uh, on its own trade. And then in, in terms of goods moving on into the European Union, that will take care of itself by all means, check those, but relatively simple to, yeah. to solve this. I mean, the, the, the other factor may be that the EU is, is stringing it because they see Boris as weakening, that uh, Frost resigned ostensibly on, on conservative issues, which, which I find quite strange because you know, he was never going to be promoted to high office of state. There seems to be no particular issue around that. And he was only there to do one job, which was Brexit. So I find this idea of resigning on, on, on uh, conservative issues less convincing than the suggestion that he believed that the uh, fight on the protocol had largely been lost uh, and that there was no impetus coming from number 10 to actually get it dealt with. Uh, I, I think the EU may also have sensed that and feel that you know, if Boris is, is slackening off, um, the protocol uh, does offer that backdoor, either with Bart or with some future leader, um, to re, you know, recalibrate uh, relationships that bring the UK back closer into the EU's trading orbit and not having such independence as I think the EU genuinely fears it might have. Yes, and there was always a sense that that was in the forefront of uh, Frost's mind when going through these negotiations, that the, the protocol, it wasn't so much the fact that it affected Northern Ireland, but also the fact that it was kind of a backdoor into introducing more EU back into the United Kingdom, um, you know, legally, and that the, the, the European Court of Justice was going to retain a role and also in terms of things, you know, the, the, the rules for state aid and all this kind of stuff that could come back into play. And particularly, you know, if in a, a few years time, for example, we see a Labour government or whatever, or, or we see a more Remain-minded Conservative government. Supposing that Boris is on his last legs, supposing that um, we may see a change of Prime Minister and, you know, you, maybe you get somebody like Rishi Sunak coming in who seems um, more content with the protocol or certainly not minded to, to trigger Article 16 or take a stand against well, it. I, 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 just, just on that, I, I think their fear, Sunak's fear before Christmas, and it was noted in the papers, I could understand that position about not triggering before Christmas, largely because everybody knows that Macron is just itching for a fight with the Brits because... You never lose votes by having in France by having a fight with the Brits. And if he caused huge problems at the ports in the run up to Christmas, that could have been disastrous in terms of public view. So I, I, I'm slightly less quick to suggest that Sunak was against the Article 16 rather than Article 16 just at that point. Okay, well, okay, and, and I mean, yes, you're, you're right, it could have been a fiasco, and with deliveries and, and, and shops needing stock for Christmas and everything else, it would have been a very bad look for the government and a, and a great scandal, and from that point of view, as the guy who's, you know, in charge of keeping the economy running um, smoothly, you can see why he had that view, but I mean, even, even if you sort of take the view that he was anti- Article 16 being triggered because he wants a particular relationship with the EU or whatever else. And, and supposing that the protocol comes bed, becomes bedded down. I mean, if we're not going to, you know, to start to align in terms of um, 
agriculture or or buy back into to parts of the EU. What does the EU actually hope it's going to get in the long in the longer term from having the protocol in in place? I mean, is it just a matter of um, a, a, a kick in the face for the United Kingdom, or is there is there some broader thinking behind this? Because you know, for, for, from my perspective, I just can't see that it's going to be greatly beneficial to the EU. I, 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 yeah, I think the revenge uh, thing is is real. I think the revenge thing, and and the the still the disbelief still, I think, in many European capitals that the UK actually left. I think they just can't believe that nobody would want to be part of the EU. They haven't got over that. Was the seven stages of of of, of uh, separated? You know, they haven't got over the anger bit. I think uh, just yet. Um, and I suppose it is designed to be off-putting to other countries who may decide to go down this route. In that, you know, if if you're negotiating to leave, we will ask for things that are unreasonable, yeah. and we will try to punish you. Well, I honestly don't see any other country particularly wanting to, even the Visegrad states. I, I don't get any sense that any of them are looking to leave the EU. They may have rise. I don't think those threats are serious. You know, I, I think they have difficulties with Brussels. They have difficulties with Brussels style, which is quite overbearing or, or, or you know, autocratic or whatever you want to call it. But in terms of you know serious project of leaving, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think either that any of those states yeah. are close to that. Uh, maybe just following up, just closing down with with uh, the political year here in Northern Ireland, which of course is going to be dominated by the election in May, which I think everybody's already gearing up to. I, I have to say, most of the parties seem to have lost any sense of collaboration or cooperation, and everybody's going for everybody else, mostly going at the DUP. Uh, because that seems to be an easy way of saying, look at us, uh, we don't, you know, we're not the DUP. On the national side, it's the bogeyman. Uh, on the Ulster Union side, it's look at us, we're, we're not the DUP. Um, uh, uh, and the Alliance Party, just we're not any of them, but, um, you know, we're not the DUP. It, it just, you know, I just get a sense that there's, it's not so much politics as preening and positioning at the present time. It's just... And, and partly that's because so much of it now is played out in social media and, um, you know, it was social media and, and kind of really Ulster chat programs. So, yes, you've got this heightened um, rhetoric or you know, the, the tone is becoming shriller already um, because the, the parties are sort of limbering up for this election contest. So, I, I mean, I think it's just going to be a very long and dreary and uncivilized few months. Well, <laughs> Not looking forward to it at all. I think if you if uh, you wanted to delete your Twitter for six months, it was probably exactly the time to do it. Well, this is the time. I must admit, between elections, I tend to delete you know, the party Twitter feeds mm -hmm. uh, because I can't be bothered with them. Uh, I normally put them on in the month, you know, in in the few months coming up, just to keep an eye on what the parties are all saying about themselves. Um, but I'm going to leave that very late this year. I, I mean, I'm just not going yeah. to do it. I mean, I've got most of the political leaders on mute, I have to say, because they just don't have anything useful to say. And it's just cluttering up the Twitter feed, which is bad enough. Well, well that's the thing. And it's become so much about hitting certain buzzwords and setting a certain tone. And there's so little... Substance. to it yeah. I mean <laughs> if you were asked to kind of outline 
in a few words what each of the parties is about. I mean, you would seriously struggle because they and very often there's they're hugely critical of opponents that they have very little uh, to distinguish themselves from. So you know, it, it's it's depressing. It, it, it's going to be a depressing election contest. I mean, you can always live in hope that they, they'll uh, come back to, to Stormont and actually take a different attitude to, to, pre, to previous. Well, I think now that, now that it's been reported that the DUP have paused their threat to bring down Stormont, which basically means there is no threat to bring down Stormont, uh, there may be, however, a, a point of Stormont not getting back into action um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, until the protocol sorted, which would be at least another another way of, of, of approaching it, whereby it's sort of like, well, you sort the protocol and we'll, we, we'll go back into government, maybe. Um, yeah, well, I have to sort of issue a mea culpa in that, because I can't remember whether it was just after Christmas or just before, but I, I wrote an article saying that Jeffrey Donaldson can't possibly keep doing this. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, but not yet. <laughs> I, and apparently he can, apparently he can string that out indefinitely. At, least probably until uh, Stormont is prorogued for the election. So in March, I think that's the middle of March, isn't it? The... Yeah, yeah. So he, he's paused this indefinitely. Now we're talking, I mean, there was sort of previously an expectation that the, the protocol negotiations would be done and dusted one way or another at the end of this month. That doesn't appear, that urgency seems to have uh, left things. Jeffrey's, you know, t- taken his foot off the throttle, as it were. So I, I think that we can fully expect people to go toward March without anything much happening. Yeah, uh, and maybe after, you know, and, and after May, we'll just have to see how it all rolls out. Well, as I, say, uh, or as we, I think we both uh, accept it's just going to be a very tedious uh, election campaign because they're all going to be shouting at each other, but nobody's actually going to deal with the pressing issues to hand. Um, I still haven't seen... Uh, a plan for the health service. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, I noticed that Robin Swan's talking about how we must uh, support the staff uh, of, of, of the NHS. You know, great, that's super, but it's not a plan for how to reform the NHS uh, uh, in Northern Ireland and how to actually address the waiting lists, which are now surely an absolute disgrace. I mean, beyond crisis, I think. And you would think that um, you know, Robert Robin Swan's greatly uh, revered as his success as a health minister. You'd think that at some point during his spell as health minister, he would have had a chance to set out the kind of reforms that he wants to see, rather than just blathering about reforms without spelling out what they will be. Yeah, and and frankly, the health service at the moment had just been run. You know, they've just locked. You know, because most of the population was locked down, and they were only dealing with one thing. You know. I can't imagine there weren't people who couldn't have sat down and actually drawn up a plan in that period because in many ways it was the simplest time for the bureaucrats in the health department because there was there was a limited amount to actually actually achieve in that period uh, and most of that was put back on the population to deal with rather than anything particular within the health uh, department other than managing the skeleton of, of NHS that was in that period. Indeed. All right. Well, look, um, I'm sure we'll have lots to chat about um, uh, by the end of the month. Uh, things will progress one way or another with, with Whitehall and Boris, starting to perhaps see how 
the election here in Northern Ireland will shake out because by the end of January, uh, I think all the parties will be um, up and shouting. I look forward to it.